You're listening to A Day in the Life podcast brought to you by the International Myeloma Foundation. We hope this podcast provides messages of hope and resilience for those in the myeloma community and beyond. Today, we're talking to Nick Lenore, who was diagnosed with multiple myeloma in 2016 at the young age of 31. Hi, Nick. It's great to meet you. And to begin, um, if you can tell me what you, if you can recall what your life was like before you had ever heard of myeloma, before diagnosis. A lot slower. You know, you you think you're busy all the time, but, you know, it's, that's, you got time on your hands before myeloma. You know, you got doctor's appointments and running around from here to there and it really fills in that time you thought, oh man, just five minutes to relax. No, you got stuff to do. You got to keep moving, whether it's keeping yourself healthy, working out or, or anything like that. So to me, life was a lot slower. That's interesting. That's a different take than a lot of other people say. Um, I, I, I'm sure, I know the bulk of time that the appointments and treatments take so forth. My mother had myeloma, so I understand that. It, it, it just becomes this huge shift in how you're managing your life. Yeah. Um, so we're just curious about how you learn of your diagnosis. A lot of people have a roundabout way of learning of it about maybe a back pain or a lab report that reports something out of the ordinary. How were you diagnosed? Right. Uh, so this is actually a little, it's kind of a neat story. Um, me and my now fiance had just started dating and I had been staying the night at her apartment with her and I started getting real bad chest pains, like my chest hurt. So I started going with chiropractor, guy in town, just a local guy and built a, a friendship with him and it just wasn't getting better. And I had him a, a massage on my back because my back was just always out. And the masseuse told the doc, um, Dr. Carter said, listen, he's got a lump in his back. So he goes, Nick, go to your primary, see if she'll send you for an MRI because, you know, just of your upper back and your neck, it's just not getting better. So I went to my primary. She goes, Nick, you're 31. You're active outside. You hunt, you fish. You've pulled a muscle in your back. Here's some muscle relaxers. Go to physical therapy. So, oh, and stop going to the chiropractor, she said. So, my chiropractor wrote my insurance company, you know, and so this is all we have done for him. We know there's more than just a muscle damage. He's got something going on with his skeleton. And um, they ended up coming back the next day and approved him, a chiropractor, to send me for a CAT scan. So funny thing was my fiance a few days later was in with him and he called me and he's like, hey, I need you to get up here. We need to talk. So me and her both sat down with him and he goes, as your doctor, he goes, you need to go see an oncologist. He goes, as your friend, he goes, Nick, you have cancer. You have something going on in your back and it's not good. So, I mean, you have that freak out moment, you know, 31, what's going on? So, um, yeah, I mean, that's that's how I found out was my chiropractor. And when you were diagnosed, how, first of all, you probably, had you heard of myeloma before? And, never. Um, nope, never. never. And when you started reading about it, was it kind of, shocking that you know this is not usually found in younger adults funny thing is i'm not the researcher <laughs> i just i i'm basically you know i should have been a military man i just do what i'm told and keep steaming forward now my fiance on the other hand she's the one that looks it all up and 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 she tells me what i need to know um and she's like i just can't believe this is something you have this is supposed to be a you know, later on in life, not not at this age, you know. So I found out. I just didn't do the research. So and when you were diagnosed, 
did you know what stage it was at MGAS smoldering or was it active at the time you were diagnosed? So knowing now what I know about myeloma and, and going through all seminars and stuff, I had active myeloma. I had a tumor that had de destroyed my T2 vertebrae. It had over 75% height loss. So that's where the chest pain was. Everything was, was moving. Um, when I went to the surgeon, he, he basically told me, he goes, you know, you're one sneeze away from driving your motor scooter with your tongue. He goes, you know, in all honesty, he goes, just be careful till we can get you in and get you taken care of. And I mean, that's, that's a pretty scary thing to say. You know, I was a very active guy. As, not afraid to work with my hands. I've worked in the oil field when I was younger. I mean, it's just that that slowed it down, I guess, where you just had to be careful. You mentioned your fiance. Was she your primary caregiver at the time? Is she still oh, yeah. now? How did, still how, did now. She, how did she handle your diagnosis and how did you share that um, with her? So she actually found out with the doctor with me. I think she handled it pretty well. I mean, she hid it from me. You know, I knew she had her moments where she would break down and lose it. It caused some stress in the beginning just because we're two different personalities and we handle things different. But, um, I mean, all in all, she sits here and just sits back and lets me do what I need to do. I mean, nowadays I I do everything, you know. She doesn't even go with me anymore, you know. It's just kind of become normal life, you know. I got to go. It's Monday. I got to go get treatment, you know, and I'm going to feel like garbage for the next three days, so... It's just become a way of life now, but in the beginning, it was it was pretty scary. And, and do you have kids, and and uh, how old are they, and how did they re react to the diagnosis? <laughs> so at the time, I had a nine-year-old daughter from previous of my now fiance, and we just, you know, at nine, we hid the bad stuff from her. You know, we told her it was cancer and that I was gonna go. We 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 told her the treatment plan. You know, the docs had laid out for us and. And um, so she's seen me get sick and, you know, dad got better the next day, you know, and stuff like that. So we, she, we kept her involved, you know, because when they start feeling like you're keeping it from them or not telling them the truth, then they start to worry. But if she knows that we're, we're trying to take care of it, you know, and that's how we looked at it. Um, but I now have three more kids since diagnosed. And how did that, how do you relate your treatments with them and kind of your outlook with them? So they're my driving force. I mean, in all reality, it's, I'm, I'm a dad. That's, we take care of us to be here for them. Um, so now, you know, I, my oldest daughter's 15, you know, she knows it's treatment day, you know, I'm going to have decks. I'll be up all night. You know, we, we've got our, you know, I got my pills on the counter in the kitchen. She knows everything that's going on. You know, every time I've relapsed, we've been very open and honest with her. You know, hey, it's back. This is what we're going to do. And she's there for doctor's appointments when we do them on Zoom. So she knows she's, until there's a problem, she stays out of it. The the little kids, I mean, my, my next daughter's three and then the twins are 15 months. So they really don't know yet. And... What type of treatments have you undergone since the time of diagnosis? I'm sure there's been a number. It's been yeah. <laughs> what, uh, six years. So what, can you kind of illustrate what that journey has been like for you? So my first treatment was uh, KRD, and that was a clinical trial. We were taking uh, Cryopolis from a two-day dose, 
and just for relapse myeloma to a one-day dose and for first-time treatment. Um, re responded really well to that, and my brother was a 99% match for stem cells, so I had an allo stem cell transplant. Got a year of remission out of all that, and it came back. I mean, I've done Velcade, which I had a really bad reaction. I mean, I think the first time I had it, my feet went numb, um, but I had a really bad reaction in my stomach with the injection. So we stopped that, and I did Dara. Oh... Dara, I can't even remember them all now. There was four <laughs> lines of treatment before I went in for stem cell transplant for, for CAR-T. So I did CAR-T. I got a year of remission out of that. Um, I am now doing KRD again because it worked so well before we went back to it um, because my relapse this time was pretty slow and minor, but we just wanted to make sure we got it because I am aggressive now. Um, so was approved eight rounds of that at round four, I was considered back in remission. And what was it like to have the allogeneic transplant with your brother as the donor? What was that like for your relationship? So me and my brother were the growing up siblings that our parents had to take two different vehicles. If we were going somewhere together as a family, we just, we were, we were oil and water. I mean, we just didn't two different personalities, two different outlooks on life. Um, nowadays I talk to him every day on the phone. I mean, he needs something on there. If I need something, he's there. Um, we just lost my dad about a year ago. So, I mean, on top of everything we've done together with the aloe stem cell transplant to this, you know, he thinks I owe him now. Um, but, uh, I, I keep telling him I wasn't this bald before that. So it must've been a stem cells that did it to me. Um, but, no, <laughs> but it's 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 brought us closer together I mean that's he's interested in everything that's going on you know he's always been there so and you mentioned your your children of course is why you do everything that you do and what else would you say and that could just be it of course are your saving graces that keep your perspective on the daily to cope with this disease and get through each day so I remember having a conversation with my transplant doctor after um, when I was getting ready to go in for my ELO transplant. And, you know, I had six months of short-term disability. I got to have, at the time I had a great job. Um, I had six months of short-term disability and I, I asked him, I said, so am I back to work in six months? He's like, man, I don't know. I said, well, if I'm not back to work in six months, nobody gets paid. I don't know any way else to say it. I need my, I've got good insurance through work. I said, and it's paying for all this. He goes, well, we'll see. Well, I was back to work five months and two weeks. And I, I don't like to, I'm a, I, my parents work. I work, my brother works, you know, we all just, that's kind of your, I use it as my escape from everything. So as far as driving force, I would say it's just to keep my mind right. Um, as long as I don't let anything overwhelm me, you know, it's going through the transplants and I've been sick for days. I've, I've gone through all that. It's always, you got to find a balance. You can't let this consume yourself. So, so that's my not driving force, but I mean, my driving force of course is my kids and my family, but big thing is balance. And when you speak of balance, I was going to ask a couple questions. What, 
what you what do you do for a living? And also, you mentioned you enjoyed hunting and fishing. And um, are you still able to do some of those activities? Are you still involved with that? So for work, um, I am a supervisor in manufacturing of aerospace parts. Um, I run all the chemical coating rooms and we have a lot going on. I mean, there's, there's a lot going on out there in the world and we, we make some really cool stuff. So I have a lot of people that work for me. Um, I've got 25 employees. They all know everything that's going on. They all know what days I'm going to treatments. Anytime I have, you know, bone marrow biopsy or anything, they're always asking me, so still in remission, right? How's it doing? So it's, it's camaraderie we build there. Um, but as far as hunting and fishing, I still fish every chance I can get. Um, I have to limit the amount of going to the range and target practicing just because my back, my shoulders, and my right. neck. Um, you know, we go let off a few rounds at the range and then I'm in bed, you know, with heating pads and ice packs rotating for the next two days. Um, but no, I still try to get out in the woods and do what I can. My oldest likes to go squirrel hunting, you know, and we do that a couple times a year. And um, I like to go back home to northern Michigan this Thanksgiving and uh, maybe do some hunting up there. It's really beautiful. I love northern Michigan. The, yep. the sky at night is something to be seen for sure. Yes, I love it. it. Um, and I understand you're also a co-leader of the Nature Coast Florida Multiple Myeloma Group. It's in Brooksville, Florida. How'd you become involved with this myeloma support group? I was going, it was through my first treatments. It just felt like I needed to get some camaraderie. Or no, I had just gotten out of ALO. Yep, I'd just gotten out of my transplant. And I just, people that were kind of going through the same thing, maybe same mindsets or just the same things eating on them. So I had... You know, I heard the, the, from the doctors where to go, and I got on there, and I started looking. I'm like, hey, it's right here. You know, I mean, it was 15 minutes from my house is where they were meeting. And I called the lady, and I left a message, and I waited, and I waited. And a week went by, two weeks, and I'm like, well, this is really weird. So I called again, and this lady answered, and it happened to be Paula, and she was just just her uplifting tone and just the way she talked and she was on vacation and didn't have phone service and um for a couple of weeks with her family down at one of the islands and she was just very apologetic for not getting back to me you know she was just very upbeat and great to talk to and that's how I got involved with the 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 support group but then when we went virtual they were like, listen, we're not good with the computer stuff. We're not good with this. We're not good with that. Can you do it? And I deal with it all day at work, you know, and I said, yep. So I started helping out that way. And then we lost Paula, man, about a, year, a little over a year ago, I think. We lost her. Yeah, right a little over a year ago, we lost Paula. And um, I kind of just stepped into that full-time co-leader. So That's great. So, and um What's that experience been like for you um, as a co-leader, just some of the things you've learned or gained from it? People have a lot of different ways of looking at things. Um, you know, just talking to some of the people in the group, you know, just everything I've gone through and watching some of the newer people come in, you know, as far as, you know, being scared to go through a stem cell transplant or not wanting to do CAR-T. And it's like I told them, I did CAR-T in the heart of COVID. And it wasn't even a thought. 
you know, and it was, it was a clinical trial, you know, being I was an ALO transplant, they didn't want to do it on me. And I just, they're, the doctors are not going to do anything to try to hurt you. And that, that's, that's my philosophy. They're there to try to make you feel better. And not a lot of people have that thought, you know, I have a, a real good buddy of mine in the group and he, he always wants to go for the next clinical trial. That's the difference between me and him. You know, I stay here and I'm just trying to do it here and local with, with my oncologist and he's traveling around the country looking for the next latest and greatest. And that's, we need guys like him as much as we need guys like me, you know, to try and get us to where we can, we can maybe one day have a cure. And speaking of a lot of what you talked about is self-advocating this personal, this particular patient who you mentioned, who's always looking for the next trial or yourself in enrolling into a clinical trial. Um, and like the IMF always believes that knowledge is power and patients should be as informed about their diagnosis and treatment and as much as possible as they go through the process of dealing with all of this. Um, what kind of advice would you give to a patient who is a little reluctant to ask questions of their doctor or to find out about new trials? How would you recommend that they self-advocate? Take a friend with you. If you're scared to ask, get somebody to go with you that will. Talk to them. Tell them your feelings. You're not going to hurt a doctor's feelings. They know you're just as scared, confused, worried. You know, they they sometimes get numb because they deal with us all day long. You know, they're dealing with different. And it's just a matter of finding that doctor that you feel comfortable with and will take that time. And, and if you don't feel that, then... Go to the next one. Or if you want to stay where you're at because they're the latest and greatest, then get somebody that will talk for you. But don't not ask the questions because there is an answer. And normally it's not as bad as you think. Um, I mean, everything here is it's all been done before. You know, you're you're rarely ever going to be the first or the second, you know, it's, it's a lot of it's been done and you're not the only one going through it. One of the quotes, and I think actually Yelik Biru might have also said the same quote is a patient shared with me on a podcast was we are not our disease. And as you know, Yelik is the CEO of the IMF right now. So yep. he's a great example of somebody who's carrying on with a full career, leading an organization and also living almost 30 years with this illness. Um, what does the quote, we are not our disease mean to you? You know, I've got a shaved head, full beard. I work out every night. I go to work five, six days a week. I come home and take care of my kids. My loma is not stopping me from living my life. Mm -hmm. Might not be the life I had before or the life I thought I was going to have, but I'm pretty happy with what I got going on, you know. And then, and if I want to do something, I go do it. You know, I mean, you – I build a deck out back of my pool. I put a roof on my house. I've, you know, it's now, did I feel sore? Yeah. You know, it's just different, but it's not bad. So there's a new normal that you've adapted yeah. to. Yep. Yeah. Well, um, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you'd like to share with listeners? Between, you know, ask the questions and you will have bad days. I'm, not gonna lie you know i mean i've even felt down in the dumps today i had treatment last night i worked 10 hours a day i mean that's oh, wow. just that's that's how that's life that's how the cookie crumbles um mm -hmm. so i don't let it slow me down you can't mm -hmm. you don't because the minute you stop 
then it all catches up. So you just got to stay out in front of it. Um, and don't like it. Don't be afraid to ask the questions. I mean, that is the biggest thing. And don't ask them to Google. Don't ask them to WebMD. I know everybody says that, but it has changed so much and stuff on the internet so lagged behind. You know, it's, there's so so many. Go to your doctor. Go to your doctor. Ask them the questions. Exactly. It's so, there are so many new treatments. It seems like every day there's a new drug approved for my home or every few weeks. And also the disease plays out differently in every individual. I, I know just right. having my mom had lived with myeloma and I've met so many patients and it's so different for each individual and how you approach it and how you cope with it is going to be different and how the myeloma affects you. So I yep. think that's important for people not to just read the internet and think, Oh, this is how it's going to play out because they don't know, you know, right. they don't know one day at a time. And I've had radiation treatment. Everybody's like, Oh, you had radiation. I'm like, yeah, I went after work and went home. They're like, Oh, you didn't get sick. And you know, it didn't affect me like it's affected other people. And you know, all the drugs are different, you know, and it's just great that we have the war chest of drugs now that we have, you know, I got people in my support group that are, you know, 12, 14 years, you know, I think Danny's at 12 or 13 now that uh, when they started, there was one drug. Mm-hmm. Now we've got, we've got so many that, you know, it's just finding that right combination that works for you. That's great. So, Nick, I want to thank you for being our guest today. I know your story will be an inspiration to all of those who are facing any kind of adversity, be it with their health or in their personal lives. And I want to thank our listeners. Um, thank you, Nick. Thank you very much. You've been listening to A Day in the Life podcast brought to you by the International Myeloma Foundation. To learn more about the IMF and myeloma, visit us at myeloma.org. Music.